politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. And good afternoon. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner. Happy to be with you again today. Great show for you. We're going to have a guest, Steve Snyder, a friend of mine, actually, for many, many years. A fellow I've interviewed on the radio probably more than any other guest. And we're going to talk about basic mind science. How to become smarter, make your brain work better, faster, stronger, and create a lot more happiness and fulfillment in your life. It's all about understanding how to use the noodle, the gray matter between your ears. And Steve will be with us in just a few minutes to fill us in on some of that basic information. You're going to like that a lot. I want to talk a little bit about fundraising, and I have a commentary for us as well. Let's do the fundraising first. As I'm sure you know, KPFK is powered by the people, and that means we're listener-sponsored. We rely for the vast majority of our operating funds on you and other listeners just like you. And we need you to ante up every once in a while. You know, I've done a lot of commercial radio in my life. That was my career for 20, 25 years. And whatever format I was doing, whatever radio station I was working in, 16 to 18 minutes of every hour was devoted to commercial announcements. That's between one quarter and one third of every hour given over to commercial announcements. Now, you may get used to that, especially on television. You just sort of space out during that time. It's not very productive, and you're getting bombarded with a lot of negativity. It also means editorially that that TV or radio station is indebted to those commercial sponsors. I know the experience of having your boss come in and say, sponsors didn't like what you said the other day, which is uh, very disconcerting to think that editorial policy is being determined by somebody selling cough syrup or used cars. But that's the case. Not here at KPFK. This group, Pacifica, invented listener-sponsored radio in the 1940s, right after World War II. And so we continually need your help and support. Now, we can ask you for $100, for $250 or $500, and come at you several times a year. But it seems to me the best way to handle this is for you just to become a sustainer and devote a small amount every month to the radio station. Make it an automatic deductible. It's painless, and it comes every month, so there's no hassle. It's so easy to do. And what I want you to do right now is point your browser to kpfk.org 
At the top of the page, you'll see Support KPFK on the banner. Click on Support KPFK at the website, kpfk.org. And the little pop-up menu will offer you the option of Sustainer's Circle. Go to Sustainer's Circle and make a monthly pledge. It's real easy to do. $5 a month. That's 60 bucks a year to KPFK. $15 a month is $180 a year. That's less than you pay for water in your, your apartment or your home. 15 bucks a month, that's a significant donation. That really helps out a lot. So how about the quick and easy way, just become a sustainer to KPFK, then every time you tune in one of the programs on this radio station, you listen to the news, you listen to a music program like Global Village, you listen to Stephanie Miller in the morning, or Tom Hartman, or Amy Goodman, or Sonali, you know that you're supporting what supports you. You're supporting free speech radio, powered by the people, for all of Southern California, and indeed, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. So do that now, help us out, and uh, we'll keep it short and sweet, and that's that, right? We did that in two minutes <laughs> instead of 16 or 18 minutes. I also want to do a little commentary today on the nature of anger. Because I think a lot of people get involved in becoming socially and politically active because they're frustrated and they're angry and they want to change the world. Well, certainly wanting to change the world, to work for peace and social justice is admirable. It's a, it's a noble goal. But to be motivated by anger may not be the best reason. And one of the curious things about anger is that it seems to need direction. It's that one negative emotion that wants to be directed either outwardly or inwardly. Now, inner-directed anger leads to sadness and depression. And you don't want that. In fact, it becomes a vicious cycle where depression or sadness creates anger, which leads to more depression and more anger. Blaming yourself is not a good reason to become angry at yourself. But blaming other people and holding others responsible and feeling out of control in your life is just as destructive. I'm not saying anger is a bad emotion. Righteous anger may be what it takes to get you up off your duff and making a difference in the world. Studying, becoming familiar with a particular injustice that needs your activism, but let go of the anger at some point and consider that a better way to motivate yourself to become socially and politically active is a positive, constructive view of affirming life, an ethical and moral view of building a just world for our neighbors and our children and grandchildren, those who follow us. So while these may look like similar paths, to be motivated by anger is not nearly as healthy 
is being motivated by your positive values. And that leads to much more intelligent and much more effective action in the world. But what about this anger? How much of the anger that we direct at ourselves or direct outward at the world and blame others for causing us to feel is our own frustration? How much of it can we take responsibility for? If others are responsible for your anger and frustration and all of those horrible feelings, then you need them to change and the world to change in order for you to feel better. But if, without blaming yourself, you take responsibility, I like to think of that as the ability to choose your response, response-ability. If you take ownership of your anger, now you're able to manage it. And in order to do that, I think we need to take it apart. Anger needs to be understood. It needs to be dissembled, so to speak. And the first element of anger is fear. From the standpoint of evolutionary psychology, fear expressed as anger is designed to frighten or scare away the adversary, the danger. I'm angry, hear me roar, and then the danger runs away. But in this day and age, most of the fear that causes us to feel angry is not a clear and present danger at all. It's something unknown, something confusing that we're unaware of or simply don't understand. And so the antidote is to understand. To understand the world and other people, yeah, sure, but much more directly, more importantly, to understand yourself. Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, Knowledge is the antidote to fear. It might have been better said if he had written understanding is the antidote to fear, for we can have knowledge without understanding. It's really understanding that is the antidote to fear and to the anger that results. So when you find yourself becoming angry or frustrated, whether it's some social or political injustice, or maybe it's a guy that's crowding you on the freeway and acting like a jerk, and uh, you experience road rage or frustration even at someone you love, somebody that you care about, and you lash out at them and say hurtful things that you almost immediately regret. Take a breath. As you exhale slowly, feel your body relaxing. Literally feel the letting go of muscular tension in your body. Do that a couple of more times, nice big slow inhalation, and as you exhale, feel the letting go. That's the best first aid for anger is a couple of nice slow deep breaths and as you exhale, a feeling of letting go. And then take a look at your sadness because as I said before, depression is a major element, sadness, a major part of our anger and frustration. Who hurt you? Why are you hurt? Why do you feel sad? What is it about your life that's not working? And how can we take ownership of that? What small baby steps can we begin to take one at a time 
to assert ourselves and regain control, taking responsibility for the results little by little, bit by bit, setting a goal and moving toward it. You must have goals. Stephen Covey's line about begin with the end in mind is brilliant. Think about it. Begin with the end in mind. The purpose of a goal is not to attain it. You get to change your mind. The purpose of a goal is to get you off dead center, moving in a particular direction toward a desired outcome. And as you get closer and closer, you can modify that goal. That'll help you to set smart and attainable goals, realistic outcomes, and step by step, baby steps at first, you move closer and closer to your desired result. So to summarize, we don't need to direct anger outward at other people or events or circumstances. We don't want to direct anger inward and blame ourselves. We can abandon blame of others and self-blame altogether, take responsibility, and look at the sadness and the hurt, the heartache, that comprises this anger, this frustration. Breathe, relax, set a goal for yourself, and then another, a few baby steps, and then another, and then a bigger goal, and then a still larger goal, building on your successes, learning from what other people might call failures, getting better and better, closer and closer to your goal, modifying, changing, improving, expressing and experiencing that wonderful feeling of accomplishment as you move ever closer to your goal. So there are better reasons to be socially and politically active high values, ethics, morality. Use those life-affirming, positive, constructive motives to become a better activist, a more effective activist. And reflect on these insights about the nature of personal anger. Take some ownership, and you'll find you're able to manage not only anger, but other hurtful feelings as well. Stay tuned for my guest, Steve Snyder, and some basic mind science. You're really going to like this, and we'll be right back in just a second. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm Michael Benner. You're listening to KPFK. Hi, this is Michael Benner, and I want to thank you for recognizing KPFK as one of the few channels for progressive news in Southern California. There's obviously no shortage of hate radio out there. They're trying to frighten you, and they have plenty of followers. Over 75 million people voted for Donald Trump, so we have to stand strong. Be resolute in our beliefs and support each other. If you're not a member of KPFK, now is the time to renew or become one. Join the resistance. We're the voice, but you are the power behind us. Go to kpfk.org and become a KPFK supporter with your donation. Do it now. We're 90.7 KPFK and kpfk.org. Resistance Radio, powered by the people. KPFK on your radio, Michael Benner with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope you're learning to make a habit out of joining us. 
every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock on 90.7 FM and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Our guest today is Steve Snyder. I've known Steve for more years than uh, I'd rather not do the math, but uh, it seems like forever. A friend of mine, he holds the distinction above other things as being my most interviewed guest. I I think that must be true. Don't you think, Stephen? I think I overtook Timothy Leary a while back, yeah. (laughs) I think you did, as a matter of fact. Steve is the author of a book called Focused Passion. He's a CEO trainer with Vistage and has spoken to CEO groups in over 100 nations around the world. And uh, we're happy to have him here today to talk about some basic mind science principles. How do we tune up our brains to become smarter, uh, more creative, to improve focus and concentration and take advantage of the altered states brought about by deep relaxation? You're going to find this a really valuable radio program, so stay with us here. Steve, good afternoon, and welcome to KPFK. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be with you. I know that uh, you have been forced by the COVID virus to doing a lot of your seminars on, well, I suppose you're you're doing Zoom seminars now, right? Yeah, I've been doing a bunch of those. It's it's not as good. You know, I really miss being in, in the room with people and being able to read their body language and facial expressions and all that stuff. But, boy, it's a whole lot better than nothing, I'll tell you that. I know you have more than one workshop you do for these uh, CEOs, these chief executives of big corporations. What are some of the topics that you find most needed and, and most popular when you talk to corporate chiefs? Well, by far the most popular seminar I do, in fact, it's almost always the one I do first, if, if they haven't heard me before, uh, it's called Mind Matters, Brilliance, Passion, and the Nature of Mastery. So how to be better, faster, smarter, and happier with far less stress and much more passion. And really, it's a lot about living a life out of high stress, living in low stress in a state of focused concentration and amplified passion and interest, a state we know called the alpha brainwave state. Well... We're all familiar with stress. You don't need to be a CEO to know stress in uh, in this day and age. I think COVID has a lot of us more stressed than we may know. In fact, let's begin there. How do we know when we're stressed, if we're stressed, and how stressed we may be? I don't have a meter on me. I don't have a gauge. Or do I? How, how uh, do I know? Actually, I have several. Um, one gauge is physical muscle tension. You know, if you just check out your body and notice it's relaxed, well, you're probably not tense. But if you're noticing that there's muscle tension more than usual, that's a good indicator. Another is uh, check the gut, emotional anxiety. You feel calm or you feel, you know, tense and, and, and anxious about it. And I think the simplest one is to notice how your brain's working. Is it clear or is it confused? Do you come up with the answers to problems readily or are you, are you having struggles to get thinking the way you want to be thinking? Tension, anxiety, confusion, that really is the nature, the core nature of stress. You know, a question that I get asked a lot, and I'm perpetually curious about this myself. 
is the nature of, I'll call them intrusive thoughts, um, for lack of a better term. Sometimes it's called stream of consciousness, but it's not the consciousness that concerns me. It's these thoughts that don't seem to be mine, that are constantly being generated and competing for my attention. And I find a lot of them to be negative. Worry, for example, and just general anxiety. And it feels like I have this conversation going on in my head all the time, uh, This, as if my brain has its own agenda and I have to have these discussions with it or or even these arguments with these these thoughts that so often are are negative and, and worrisome. How do you how do you speak about that? Well, you know, it's important to understand that negative thoughts are very, very powerful because they're about survival. Positive thoughts are only about growth. So like eh, they're, they're cool, but they're not nearly as potent, as powerful. Uh, somebody once said that negative thoughts are like uh, Velcro and positive thoughts are like Teflon, you know. So it takes many positive thoughts to overcome the negative one. You see, when, when you get into a negative thought process, it persists. You keep doing it. You keep thinking the negative thoughts because your brain is saying, oh, oh, oh good. I'm making sure I don't die here. I'm making sure that nothing really bad happens. I'm, it's like I'm being safe by thinking I'm in danger, you know. And the only way to get out of that is to consciously shift to something else purposely, by intention, get your mind onto something else. It won't go onto something else all by itself. It'll stay in that negative loop. But if you purposely choose like, oh, look at that flower over there. I'm going to notice how beautiful that flower is. Then you stop that loop. You can't, you won't stop the loop automatically. You have to stop the loop intentionally by, by shifting to something else, by shifting to a memory, of, a happy memory or a wonderful fantasy or, or even mindful of something in your present moment that you can pay attention to that takes you out of that loop. But it's, it's valuable to worry. We need to worry. Otherwise, we'd be blindsided by every bad thing that could happen. The problem is that when we worry, our subconscious mind really thinks that's happening. And we react to that worry by going, <gasps> by tightening our muscles and holding our breath. If instead we train our minds to respond to the worry, react as an autopilot, response as a choice. We train our minds to respond to the worry thoughts, the anxious feeling by, <sighs> by releasing muscle tension and letting go of breath, then we... By consciously paying attention to that breath, a conscious breath, we take our mind off the worry cycle and we let our brain know we're safe. See, if you're stressed, if you're in danger, then you'll hold your breath and get ready to run, hit, fight or fight. But if you can take a slow, conscious, deep breath, your brain knows you're safe and takes you out of that process. So worry is great, but you want to respond to the worry as if it's not actually dangerous. And then once you've done that, and release the tension and anxiety, then your mind is free to go, well, what would I do if that thing I'm worried about does start to happen? What would my strategy, what what uh, tactics would I employ if the thing I'm worried about actually does occur or begin to occur? But there's no value in hanging into that worry thought causing you tension and anxiety. That takes away your intelligence and wisdom and creativity and intuition and compassion and empathy and all the ineffable human qualities. You want to take a deep breath so you can get back to having that higher consciousness available to you. I think a lot of people might be afraid that they don't have the time to do that. Let's let's use multitasking as an example. The pressure to be productive, to get things done, 
to finish your never-ending to-do list may be such for a lot of people. I think it may be, I don't have time to slow down and take a breath. I, I don't have time to think things through. But, of course, then we end up making a lot of bad decisions, missing opportunities, failing to learn from our mistakes. Do you find that the temptation to multitask is a problem for a lot of people, especially in business? Yeah, a lot of people indeed. But, you know, there's a very, very old phrase that goes, a stitch in time saves nine. And and bottom line is, if you pay attention to what you're doing, you'll probably do it right. You'll probably do it the best you can do it. If what you're doing is just one of the things you're paying attention to, you, you might likely do it wrong, and then you have to do it over again. I don't think you have time to multitask because you waste so much time by not giving it your all. The human mind is so much better when it's 100% focused on doing something than when it's going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between a whole bunch of different things. It's much more time effective to do one thing at a time than it is to try and do a whole bunch of things at a time. You actually save time by doing one thing at a time rather than trying to trying to multitask. We don't really multitask. We just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between a whole bunch of stuff. And and none of those really gets our full attention. Yeah, there's that phrase in uh, the schools of meditation about uh, monkey minds yeah. swinging through the trees from vine to vine, jumping from one vine to another. And, uh, or sometimes, uh, remember in Kung Fu, the student was referred to as grasshopper, the uh, <laughs> the same effect, you know, the mind leaping on its own from one thing to another. So this demands some organization. If I've got a telephone in one hand and I'm typing email with my other hand, you ever try to type with one hand? That's very difficult. And the phone is ringing and I'm under the clock on this deadline over here. How do I slow down, take a breath, relax, and then sort that out? Any tips on those kinds of organizational skills? What would we call it? Mental organization? Well, you know, taking a break from it is a really important process because if you're caught up in it, it just perpetuates. So every now and then, to me, it's like at least every half hour, maybe even more often, what I do is I stop put everything down, I close my eyes, I take a deep breath, and I imagine myself in a safe and peaceful place. A place actually that I imagined when I was a kid and I've been imagining over and over and over since then is 20 seconds. You know, 20 seconds of the subconscious mind is a long time, plenty of time to let go of the tension, anxiety, and confusion and replace it with relaxation and calmness and clarity. And then you start fresh. It's like if stress is blowing up the balloon, you know, you let the air out of the balloon. Yeah, you go back to life and the balloon starts to blow up again, but it's starting from empty instead of starting from three quarters full, you know. So just taking a break from all of it as part of it. Uh, Another thing that I found very valuable in terms of getting my time and my life managed and organized, a great book I read, oh, decades ago, I still use, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Wonderful book. It talks about managing your space, managing your time, managing your life. And it really is about one thing at a time. It's about organizing yourself, prioritizing Uh, deciding what's most important and get that done first and, you know, finding what time of day your mind works best and do the important stuff during that time of day. Lots of great tips in that wonderful book. But it's really about having an intention 
to be organized and managed and straight, to, to have an organized desk, to have an organized day calendar, to have an organized life so you get more done, more effectively, more efficiently, and you can find that you're spending much more of your time doing only one thing at a time, which you'll do far better, and just a little bit of time throughout the course of the day doing nothing except luxuriating in letting go of your stress. How often did you say you do the little mini mind break that go to your peaceful place? How often do you do that? I recommend to people at least once an hour. For me, it's about once every 20 minutes for like 10, 15, 20 seconds. It's really a very brief time. Once in a while, I'll go longer, but generally it's just long enough to feel the relaxation, feel the calmness, feel the the clarity of the vision that I have of this beautiful meadow with this babbling brook and these three deer drinking out of the brook. You know, it's just a vision in my mind, and it just makes me go, and, you know, 20 seconds is plenty to do that. And then I go back to life, but I'm coming from a calmer place. I'm coming from a quieter, more relaxed place, and I, I start to rev up a little bit, you know, but generally I'm staying at a much lower level of stress. Low stress is where you want to be. You don't want no stress. You know, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. You want some stress, but high stress, very valuable for, for dealing with danger. But if there's no real danger, there's no need to be able to run fast or hit hard. You know, there's no need for holding your breath and getting your muscles tight. There's no need for that unless the danger is real. And, you know, something we've talked about a million times is that most of the danger we experience in life isn't real. I mean, you could go weeks or months without facing true, real, life-threatening danger. I mean, once in a while, a guy in front of you slams on his brakes. I mean, it happens. But most of the danger we experience is imaginary danger that you can really call worry. I guess the key point here is the mind science concept that the unconscious or subconscious mind doesn't distinguish between something that's real and something imagined. So if you imagine some horrible thing happening for the duration of the negative thinking, it's happening to you as far as the unconscious goes. And likewise, if I go to my place of perfect peace, even for 20 seconds or 30 seconds, my unconscious mind believes I'm really there watching you know, in the meadow, watching the deer drink out of the pool, right? Exactly. I mean, everybody's experienced dreams that, you know, you know they're not real, but the emotions that they evoke are absolutely real. Just as much terror, or just as much anxiety, or just as much fear, or just as much joy, you know. It, the, the mind, the subconscious mind experiences it as real. The conscious mind knows it's not real, but that, that doesn't really help much, you know, because when you're in that worry cycle, you know, and, and, and you're getting tenser and more anxious and more nervous about the whole thing, your mind is experiencing as if it's actually happening. But one slow conscious, focus on the word conscious here, because you have to take your mind off the worry onto the conscious breath. You're paying attention to the feeling of the breath coming in and the feeling of the breath going out. If you focus your attention away from that thing that you were, that negative thing that was capturing you onto even a breath or a peaceful vision of the, the meadow and the deer, that's enough to cause the mind to know you're not, it's not real. You're not in real danger. You don't need to be in fight or flight. You can instead be relaxed and calm and clear. I think one of the greatest fears for many people is public speaking. Yes, yeah, the number one greatest fear of most people. Death is seventh. 
<laughs> you're probably Jerry right. Seinfeld, most people would much rather be in the coffin than deliver the eulogy. You know, I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely the number one fear. Well, that's really true. It's something I've done for a living. It's something you do for a living. And yet I'll cop to the fact that when I first started, I would get nervous. And and anytime I interview someone really famous, they're there's the butterflies and the anxiety. And not only do I feel it in my body, I see it happening in my head where my thoughts become shorter. And again, the grasshopper starts jumping around. It's more difficult for me to concentrate. And it's just so remarkable the way one or two slow, deep breaths will dispel all of that and allow me suddenly the strength comes back into my knees and and my body's not quivering and my mind becomes more relaxed and more focused and I can pay attention to what I'm doing and do a much better job. Just is that a good place to begin? One or two nice... You've already said it. I, I guess I want you to repeat it and emphasize the importance of deliberately taking a couple of slow, deep breaths. Yeah, it's really huge because it's the way the brain knows you're safe. If you're holding your breath or breathing shallow, your brain believes you're in danger. Real danger or imaginary danger, the subconscious responds as if you're in danger. But when you can take a a slow, deep breath or two or three, whatever, if you can take a slow, deep breath, your brain goes, oh, I must be safe. If I wasn't safe, I I wouldn't be able to take this breath. I mean, I'd be holding the tension in my body, getting ready to run, or I'd be holding my breath so something punches me in the stomach. I don't lose all my breath. My, My brain, when it's in danger, holds on real tight. Only when my brain is feeling safe. And that happens with a deep breath. That's the trigger. A deep breath says, oh, I have to be safe. I wouldn't be able to take a deep breath if I wasn't safe. A deep breath triggers letting go of muscle tension, letting go of anxiety, letting go of confusion. A deep breath changes everything. It's amazing how powerful one slow, conscious, deep breath is. And you'll find that in the martial arts. You'll find it in in any athletics. You'll find it, but musicians, before they play, you'll find that almost everybody who's a performer will know, consciously or just even unconsciously, that's what you do. You you, And then you're ready, you know. Those those butterflies that happen before, you know, you get on stage, you know, I, I have them flying in formation. You know, I mean, I like the butterflies. I'm I'm always pacing a little bit before I get on stage. I like that anxiety because it's a positive, like, rush. It's excitement kind of thing. And then I take the deep breath, and, and I calm down, and I begin. It's not, not necessarily a bad feeling having those little butterflies going on, but when it's time to perform, one deep breath shifts the brain to feeling safe. And only when we feel safe is the brain focused on growth. When we're not feeling safe, it's focused on survival. When you're holding your breath, your brain's focused on survival. When you take a deep breath, your brain knows survival is not an issue. And only then can it shift over to its focus on growth. There's only two basic programs in the mind, survive and grow. That's it. There's no self-sabotage mechanism built into the mind. Self-sabotage comes from <laughs> holding on to the negative thoughts and making them grow to the point they take over. You want to have negative thoughts so you can 
release them so they lose their power. The only power negative thoughts, worry thoughts, anxious feelings have is to cause you to tighten up, you know. But if instead you relax and loosen up, you take away the charge. The memory of that negative thought remains, but the charge, the the ability it has to control your body diminishes. So take a deep breath in response to your negative thoughts and you take away the charge that negative thought has. Next time, it'll be less powerful. So the slow, deep breath, particularly the exhalation side of that cycle, tends to cause us to relax or allow us to relax? Should we think of this as a two-step process, breathe, and then deliberately put your attention on a letting go feeling in the body? That's better, but not necessary. Just the breath alone, just the ability to take a, a deep breath is enough for the brain to know I am not in danger. There's no real danger here. There's no reason to, to be prepared to run or hit. And that's enough for the brain to shift its focus from survival to growth. But if instead of just taking that deep breath, you notice how relaxed you are, you notice how calm you're feeling, you notice how clear your mind is, that amplifies the power of it. And then your mind is open in this alpha state, this state of hyper-suggestibility, because you're focused on only one thing. That one thing is so much more powerful than when you're focused on a whole bunch of different things that you can really do a lot of great stuff between the conscious and subconscious minds. You can use the conscious mind to program the subconscious mind. Like if you do know what you want, but you don't know how to get it, you can imagine what you want as if you've already got it over and over again with great passion and then take one step toward it. You don't have to know how to get there. All you have to know is where you are, where you want to be, and the next step. That's all you have to know. So if you do know what you want, then you can program with the conscious mind using the four P's, positive suggestions, present tense suggestions, practice persistence or perseverance, do it over and over again, and most important, do it with great passion. That amplifies the power of the suggestion. You can program your mind to move toward it. If you don't know what you want, you can just go the other way and and have the conscious mind ask the subconscious mind, like, what do I want the most? And just listen through intuition, listen for the answer. Let's talk more about affirmations when we come back from the break. You're listening to KPFK. Steve Snyder, the author of Focused Passion, is my guest today, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner, and this is KPFK. It's a new year, and InterVision has a brand new time slot. Hi, it's Nita Valens, host of InterVision. I want to personally invite you to join us every Friday at 1 p.m. Check us out for the latest in psychology, spirituality, and inspiring stories. That's InterVision Fridays at 1 o'clock, your lunchtime spot for health and spirituality, right here on KPFK. And this is KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. In Santa Barbara, we're heard at 98.7 FM. In northern San Diego, 93.7. And in the high desert, Ridgecrest and China Lake at 99.5. Streaming for the world, of course, at kpfk.org. Thank you for joining us, whether you're listening live or to the replay. We're also podcasting these Mystery School programs. You can always pick that up at, uh, well, any podcast player or aggregator, wherever you normally get your podcasts. 
or at theagelesswisdom.com. You can always hear the latest program replayed there. My guest today is Steve Snyder, a friend who's been with us many times before, and it's a pleasure to have Steve back. You can purchase his book, Focused Passion, on Amazon or other online book dealers. And we've also got a website, Steve, we might want to mention. It's uh, absolutely free with a lot of podcasts you and I did a few years back. I think of it as uh, the Internet's largest archive of free personal development programs. So work we did together for five years. We sat down together every uh, every once a week and did a podcast for 250 times, I think, until we ran out of things we could talk about. Um, it's called it's Pen.Tools, and uh, it's awesome stuff. Every self-development program in the world that we could think about, we, we did a podcast on, and it's wonderful. It's a dialogue between Michael and myself, and, and we always end with a guided journey uh, into the alpha brainwave state uh, with a – beautiful little process where you close your eyes and go to a peaceful place and and we you know give you the information in a different kind of way in the office it's it's wonderful stuff any issue you might have in terms of growth or success or fulfillment um you know go to this go to this uh, website pen.tools pen stands for personal empowerment network but all you need to remember is pen.tools and you'll find what 250 i think uh, free self improvement programs in every topic we can think of and tools is the domain. It's not dot com or dot org. It's dot tools. Right. I never saw another one actually dot tools, but that's what it is. It's pretty cool. So P E N dot tools, T O O L S. Because that's what these really are. They're lessons with practical portable tools or techniques that people can use. And again, I want to emphasize this site is free. There's no advertising. There's no plugs or promotion of any other thing. It's just, it was Steve's idea actually to do this as a public service. And, uh, way back in the day, these were premium podcasts, but now archived and available absolutely free. And uh, particularly four of them. These are the ones that I have promoted most. Uh, we call it the Family Learning Hour, but it's four different programs on, especially for students, on accelerated reading, on study techniques, on memory improvement, on test taking and performance skills. Please download these programs for your kids, your friends' kids, your neighbors' kids, all the kids you know, because, you know, it's it's an awesome program. They'll learn to be great readers and how to study and how to remember things, how to take tests. It really makes school so much easier and so much faster and better and it's amazing the difference it makes in kids' lives when they're great learners. And that's really been one of my lifelong goals is to create an entire generation of well-educated children. So please download these programs or stream them and, and listen to these programs. You'll learn to read three or four times faster. You'll have a specific methodology for studying material, how to remember things, and especially a, a, a strategy for taking like multiple choice tests and essay uh, tests and, and for taking uh, any kind of tests you have to take. We've talked about how to specifically study and take that kind of test. So Listen to them yourself, absolutely. But most important, make sure the kids in school get the hands on these programs. Steve, in our last segment, we talked a lot about focus, paying attention. I hesitate to use the word concentration because that always sounds like an effort. Yes. But 
that's what we're talking about. It's It may seem odd to people that concentration is a relaxation skill, but that is the case. You made that clear in our first segment. Let's talk more about the affirmations that you started to touch on just before the break. Affirming with positive language the goals and solutions that we do want as a way of replacing or supplanting the negativity that comes up so often for so many of us. Those four Ps, what what were those four Ps again? Well, the first one you're talking about is positive. You know, beyond that, it's, it's do it in the present tense, do it repeatedly with practice or persistence or perseverance, and then do it with great passion, real or imaginary. The subconscious can't tell the difference, so great passion. But it really comes down to you have to imagine what you do want. It's got to be positive. You have to say what you want because that's the only thing the subconscious understands. It's it's pretty remarkable, but the subconscious doesn't understand you when you tell it what not to do. It doesn't know what that means. Like if I say, don't think of a rainbow, you think of a rainbow. If I say, think of a rainbow, you think of a rainbow. There's no difference to the subconscious mind between don't do something and do something. So that's why the suggestions have to be positive. When you worry, what you're doing is you're saying you want that negative outcome to happen. As far as the mind's concerned, when you think about what you don't want, which is a good definition of worry, your mind thinks that's the target. It thinks that's the bullseye. It thinks that's what it should be aiming at. So it's so important to know what you do want and imagine it in a positive way. With positive language, instead of saying, don't run out of the street, you'll get hit by a car, say, Stay here and play where it's safe. It's dangerous out there, so you stay here. You know, Tell your children what to do instead of what not to do. And as I often tell CEOs, employees in the same way are like children. you got to tell them what to do instead of what not to do. If somebody does something wrong and you say, don't do that, all they heard was do that, and they did it again. They didn't know how to do it right in the first place. Why would you telling them not to do it teach them how to do it right? What you need to do is say, here, do this. So positive language is so important. It, it's It's comes naturally for us to tell people not to do something, but it doesn't work. The subconscious mind doesn't get that. So you have to say what to do instead of what not to do. Let me follow up on this before you go further. So often we'll hear people say, don't forget, rather than it'll be easy for you to remember. Or you better not screw this up. Imagine, you know, dad telling his son or mom telling son or daughter, don't make a mess out of this <laughs> like the, like you did the last time. I mean, if you, as you say, don't think of a purple elephant. How could you do anything but think of a purple elephant? When the grocery store says, don't forget your bags, it's like, oh, damn, I knew it. And then we revel in it. It's like, oh, I always do this. You know, I'd, gosh, I'd forget my head if it wasn't screwed on. I mean, is there anything that is a bigger destroyer of memory than this kind of negative expectation? I have to stop thinking about that purple elephant first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's actually two things that cause uh, bad memory, and that's one of them. That's a big one, is, is basically programming your mind to forget things by telling it to forget things. You know? But the other one is stress. Or telling yourself not to forget. As you said, that's the same thing. Yeah, you won't forget. It's all the mind hears. You know, you say forget or don't forget. Either way, the mind is hearing the, the forget concept. Please remember, or I'll remember this in a moment, or it'll come to me. You know, those are much more effective phrases. But the other kind of forgetting we, we do quite frequently is we get real stressed, and we have that tip of the tongue kind of forgetting. 
And that's just a matter of it's there, but we're so stressed, the brain's on survival, and remembering that doesn't matter very much, you know. But when you relax and feel safe, then the mind can shift over to the growth stage again and can remember it effectively. So the two primary ways we forget are by being stressed out and have the tip of the tongue kind of forgetting or telling ourselves we forget, like, I'm no good at names, you know. That's not even a memory issue. That's, that's people introducing you to somebody, and you, and they, I think you'd be Bill, Frank, John, and Harry, and you're thinking, I'm never going to be able to remember their names, you know. That, that's that's going to be what you remember, you know. Or, or, or running to answer the phone, and you put down your keys, but you, you know, and you forget where you put your keys because you weren't paying attention to where you put your keys. You are paying attention to answering the phone. If you want to remember where you put your keys, always put them in the same place. That's a good one. I don't do that, but it's a good one. Or here's what I do. If, if I'm running the answer to the phone and I put down my keys, I go, keys! And I pay attention for one second to those keys. And then when I get off the phone, I know exactly where they are. Pay attention to things you want to remember. When I'm reading a book and I find a quote I want to remember or a statistic or a, a, a concept, I stop and I read it a second time and I say to myself, got it, that's mine, I own that now. Actually, I'll just say got it, but it means all those things to me. Got it, I own that, that's mine now. Pay attention and you will remember. You remember what you love, you remember what you hate, you remember what scares you, you remember what excites you. What you have trouble remembering is what you're bored by, apathetic about, or indifferent to. So put a strong emotion on the things you want to make sure you remember, and you'll remember them well. So the four Ps, let's work our way through this. Positive, that's the first one. I guess that's yep. self-evident now, given what you've just said. And then present tense. Why is it? How do we do that, and why is that important? Because the subconscious mind doesn't understand time. So when you say, I'm going to do that, you'll be in a perpetual state of going to do itness. <laughs> you'll never actually do it. You'll always be going to do it. You have to imagine what you want as if you've actually got it now. Now, of course, because the subconscious mind doesn't understand time, it has to be in your mind now. But now could be an hour from now or a year from now or a decade from now. If you want to remember something a year from now, you imagine it is 2022 and you, you've got it. It's yours. You own it. Or if a, a decade, imagine it's 10 years from now and you've got it. Always imagine what you want is if you've actually got it now. The now could be a minute from now, an hour from now, a decade from now. But in your mind, you imagine you have it now. Then your mind imagines you have it, imagines you have it now, wakes up and realizes you don't have it and wants it back. And that's where motivation comes from. If you think about it, the only really thing that motivates people to do stuff is to imagine something better than this, and it feels like it's real, and then you wake up and realize it's not real, and you want it back. And that's what motivates you to do what you need to do to get it back. So positive, you have to imagine what you do want, and present tense, you have to imagine you've already got it now. It could be an hour from now or a year from now or a decade from now, but in your mind, you have it now. I think it's important to add to this the use of ing words like becoming or getting or growing or because if i say i am a great public speaker and i'm not a voice in my head argues with me and says who are you kidding for i'm a great salesman i can close this deal and then the voice argues with me we can keep it in the present tense if we say I'm becoming or I'm getting or I'm growing, how do you teach that? How do you refer to that? You can do that, or you can imagine it's a year from now, and and by saying I am a great public speaker and you're looking at the calendar, it's 2022, your mind's not going to fight you with that because it doesn't know that that's not true. It, it can't really 
say for sure you're not going to be a great public speaker by 2022. So you can imagine it's the future now and you say you have it now. Or you can say, I'm in the act of becoming a great public speaker. Well, that's happening right at this very moment. As I speak, just by saying that to myself, I've moved a little bit closer to being a great public speaker. So you can say I am in the act of becoming or I'm manifesting or I'm growing or I'm changing. You can do that. My preference is always to go right to the done, done deal. It's 2022 and I am it, or it's 2032 and I am it. I like to imagine what I've got as if I've already got it now, but the now again could be sometime in the future. I don't get that fighting back from my mind if I imagine I have it now, but now is a year from now or a decade from now. Steve, we just have a few minutes left, but I want to give you a chance to talk about alpha learning and this remarkable speed reading method that you taught me 35 years ago or so, and which I've used ever since. You invented this when you were a teenager. Can you give us a quick minute or two? <laughs> it doesn't do it justice, but can you talk about this reading program that you developed? Absolutely. I, actually, I was 12 when I when I first came up with this idea. It was a great idea. It's been the best idea of my life. I've taught it to millions of people, literally, not personally, but the people I've taught it to have taught it. And it, it's just been amazing. It is simple, really. When I was a little kid, I realized that I was talking the words to myself. I was reading the big dog went to the park. And I thought, well, when I think the big dog went to the park, it goes much quicker than that. You know, why do I have to spend so much time talking it? And I realized once I recognized the words, what they looked like, and I, I didn't have to sound them out anymore, you know, and I knew what they looked like, then I could think them. But how can I make myself do that instead of talk them? And I realized, well, you can only say one word at a time. But if you look at more than one word at a time, you force yourself out of talking into thinking. You can't say more than one word at a time. So I trained my mind. I gave my mind the idea that I want to see groups of words at a time. I want to see in the house instead of in the house. So I thought that's what I'd do. But then I tried to do that, and I realized what I'm doing is I'm thinking about moving my eyes to see a group of words at a time, and that's destroying my comprehension. So I came up with a way of using the alpha state, I go to my peaceful place, and I created in my mind the vehicle to make this happen. So I closed my eyes and, and created in my mind an imaginary book. And when I opened up the book, I saw in that book there were no words. There were three bars, like slot machine bars, uh, three lines across each what would have been line of words. But instead of words, there were these three lines, left, center, and right, left, center, and right. And I trained my eyes to move across the page, left, center, right, left, center, right, left, center, right. I wasn't thinking of anything. I wasn't thinking of any content or any story or anything. I was just thinking my eyes see this third and then the middle third and then the right third. And then they see the left third and the middle third. I did that over and over and over again and and enough time so that when I picked up a book for real one day I just noticed my eyes were seeing the left third the middle third the right third and I'm going whoa I'm doing it and it just made it so much easier because all of a sudden I'm reading groups of words I'm reading the way I think instead of the way I talk and therefore my mind wouldn't wander my mind would wander so much when I read one word at a time because it's so slow and my mind works so fast but by reading a bunch of words at a time all of a sudden there's enough information come in to keep my mind from wandering especially in English, where the language is so difficult if you're not a native English speaker. Like when you read the phrase, in the big old red rustic barn, 
you look at the word in and you go in, in the, in the big, in the big old, in the big old red, in the big old red rustic, in the big old rustic barn. Oh, now I know what I'm talking about. Now I can have a picture. But there's so much happening between in the big old red rustic before you get to barn that the mind just wanders off. There's nothing to grab onto. There's nothing to hold onto. But if you read that all at once or at least in a couple of glances, all of a sudden you're at the barn, you know, much quicker and there's no room or time for your mind to wander away. So it takes a couple of hours of practicing this, what I call tri-focus exercise, in those free audio programs that you and I put together, the one on accelerated reading and the family learning, our teachers how to do this, and they can learn it for free, and you'll read three, four, five times faster, far better comprehension and retention of the material. It'll change the nature of reading for you. You'll love to read so much more when you're reading the way you think instead of the way you talk, because talking slow and reading at the way you think feels so much more natural. Do you talk about this in your book, Focused Passion? I do. It's in the book Focus Passion, which they can get at Amazon or at uh, focuspassionthebook.com is another place they could get it. Okay. And that's Focused ED, Focused Passion. Right. All one word, though, in the, in the, in the website. Uh, speaking of website, you, you read my mind. Uh, <laughs> what is a website where people can find out more about your seminar services and such? It's stephensnyderseminars.com. Stephen with a V, Snyder with a Y, seminars, all one word, stephensnyderseminars.com. And I've got some video clips uh, of uh, my presentations and all kinds of good stuff uh, on that website. And and uh, the, the CEOs that want to hire me often look at this website to get a sense of which of the topics they'd rather have me talk about. And um, Mind Matters is one. I have another one called Transformational Conversations, How to Become Exceptional, Having Important Talks with Significant People. I have one called Unlocking the Power of I, which is about creativity. I have one on speed reading. I have, I have a whole bunch of different seminars that are available to people. Um, a, a little glimpse of each of them is available on the website, stephensnyderseminars.com. All right, Steve. Well, listen, uh, thanks a lot for being with us, and uh, I look forward always to having you back. Always my pleasure. We've been good friends for 40 years now, 40 years. That's a long, long time, and uh, always happy to be on your show and extend my record as the number one most guested. <laughs> so you just blew my cover. I'm more than 40 years old, then, I guess. Yes, you are. Oh, well. We both are, <laughs> somehow. We were babies. Playing in a crib. <laughs> Steve Snyder, author of Focused Passion, my guest on the Mystery School today. Thanks a lot for being with us. Again, hope you'll join us every Tuesday at 1 in the afternoon on 90.7 KPFK Los Angeles. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Hi, this is Michael Benner, and I want to thank you for recognizing KPFK as one of the few channels for progressive news in Southern California. There's obviously no shortage of hate radio out there. They're trying to frighten you, and they have plenty of followers. Over 75 million people voted for Donald Trump, so we have to stand strong. Be resolute in our beliefs and support each other. If you're not a member of KPFK, now is the time to renew or become one. Join the resistance. We're the voice, but you are the power behind us. Go to kpfk.org and become a KPFK supporter with your donation. Do it now. We're 90.7 KPFK and kpfk.org. Resistance Radio. Powered by the people.